Bacora is pretty good. All right. So, B-A-R-A-S-C-H. Maxine. Um, <laughs> so, please welcome Maxine Barash. Maxine is an intellectual property lawyer with, what's the name of your firm? Cohen and D'Alessandro. And uh, you've been there how long? Six or seven years now. Wow, that's pretty fat. That's pretty long. And you're also in Chicago. Right? I live in Chicago for a few years. Yeah, sometimes okay. I'm working out there. Okay. So, um, K E O H A N E ampersand D apostrophe A L E S S A N D R O. And then it's L L P L L C. Oh, P L L C. What does that stand for? P L L C. Professional Limited Liability Company. All right, so you see you're already learning something right there. So the first question will be recite those letters backwards. <laughs> what is it? What? So to recite the letters backwards. Recite the letters backwards, <laughs> very good. All right, so for starters, can you tell me, I mean, I'm interested a little bit, I don't even know this, so this is a question for me. It's just, okay. How did you get interested in this field? I mean, when you went to law school, did you know you were going, first of all, how did you get interested in law? And then how did you know you were gonna get into this specialty area? Um, so I actually went to law school to become a patent attorney when I was um, probably in middle school my parents were they had a search done on an idea that they had oh, really? and my dad had paid a lot of money to a lawyer in Washington DC to do a patentability search and he's like Maxine when you grow up you should be an international intellectual property lawyer international intellectual property lawyer <laughs> yeah. now, how old were you at this point I must have been like 12 or 13. 12 or 13. And I was okay. like, shut up, Dad. <laughs> and then years later, that's where I, what I was doing. So you think he like, sub, like he embedded some, I mean, you go back to that. I still so remember you, it. So. Um, well, I, I was always interested in science and technology, and so I have a, a degree in, in biochemistry. So I have an undergraduate in you have to have an undergraduate in science or technology in order to oh. even take the patent bar exam. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So then, so most people who have a tech background will then go um, and take the patent bar after they finish law school because then you can be a patent attorney and there's... Is there a different uh, bar? Yep. You have to take... You take both bars? Like a normal but, law bar? Yeah. Oh. I mean, there is something called a patent agent where you just have to have a four-year degree um, and then you take the patent um, exam and they have the same rights and front of the USPTO, the US Patent and Trademark Office, as an attorney does, but an attorney can do attorney things that an agent can't. Okay, all right. And then, um, is there, so, so you knew from, even as, as a young kid, that's what you wanted to do. And then, is there specialty areas within the patent law or IP area, do uh, people like bio or mechanical, or is there a specialty area even within intellectual property or not really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, some people do just organic chemistry patents all day, and then some people do just mach mechanical machines. And I do mainly uh, software and electronics um, and mechanical. Very good. This group is good, really asking good questions, so I said I want to ask a few questions just to. Sure. <laughs> so, anybody have any thoughts for starters? Any questions that, you know? She's a very friendly person. She's not going to bite. Anyway, <laughs> yes, Trisha. So it doesn't sound like you'd be able to help our friend Josiah, who isn't here today, with his idea about cereal milk. Josiah wanted to create science or technology or <laughs> software, electronics, or I could help him brand it. So um, intellectual property covers several different aspects of intangible property. So mainly, a lot of times you're hearing about patents when you're dealing with technology, but we also do trademarks for brands. 
So like Coca-Cola, Cosmopolitan Magazine, those are all brands. And then copyright for creative work, so uh, music, books, um, uh, anything that's creative like that, artwork, would be protected by copyright. And then the last thing would be trade secret, which is a more informal form of protection, but still important to mention. So he would probably want to get a good trademark on his cereal milk because there's a lot of others out there and he'd want to separate himself if he can't based on the formula. He'd want to separate himself based on a brand. So can you walk us through, like, so someone has an idea mm -hmm. and they call you and the first thing they're going to ask is, you know, he or she is, is this something that I should be protecting, right? Is yeah. that kind of, so, and then you determine, there's a probably, you know, some, there are probably some, whatever the word is, devious intellectual property lawyers who want to patent everything, but you probably tell people, this one, I, I don't know, if, you know, you, it's really going to hold up or it's, you know, it's not really, but what, so give me like a sense of what is worth protecting, what kinds of things, and what kinds of things um, at this stage, you know, you would probably recommend not to protect. Okay. Is um, that a fair question? <laughs> Yeah, I, yep, I, I will, um, I think I know where you're going. Okay. So, um, so when someone comes in, they'll disclose an idea. They'll have a new widget or gadget, and they tell me what they think is really novel, what's exciting about it. And then from there, usually we'll go over whether it's patentable subject matter. Um, most things are patentable subject matter, so it has to be a technology. It can, it can be what's called an article of manufacture, like um, the spork. There were patents on the spork. You know the spork? Uh, <laughs> it actually has another name. Does it? It has a funky name from the 1800s, but spork yeah. stuck. You know what a spork is? Kentucky Fried Chicken? <laughs> it's got a funky name, though. I'm to look it up. Next class, I'll get that. It's a word of the day. All right, so go ahead. Um, chemical formulas can be patented. So assuming it's in something that's the realm of patentable subject matter, then we'll talk about whether it potentially could be patented in general. So there are three requirements for... Uh, something to be an invention and therefore patentable. So it has to be novel, meaning never been done before, um, and then it has to be non-obvious based on what's been done before, which is a subjective standard. Um, and then finally it has to be useful. So it ha if it's a, a lawnmower that cuts grass a little differently, then it should cut grass in the way that it's stated in the application. And so we do usually a patentability search to see if what else is out there to see um, what we call prior art, uh, we can find that's close or similar to the person's idea. And then we go over it with them and we give them a report. And if there's what we call, if there's room, so if we see that we haven't found exactly what they're doing and we don't think it's obvious based on what we found, then we would suggest filing a patent application and, and starting that process. And that's kind of, that's the, the early stages and then we go into the drafting of the patent application. Okay. By the way, I didn't mention regarding Maxine that, um, you know, I talked about the BizHub has, the BizLab has this thing called the BizHub and their advisors. So she was the first person I reached out to when we wanted intellectual property. So Thank I want to that. Because a lot of, so um, a lot of companies do have ideas and they also can't always afford to get, to do the whole process right away. So just having somebody in the building that they could just stop in and during her office hours and say, you know, is is just something she can give them guidance, and so I appreciate that. Thank I saw, you. and I, I do want to jump on a question, but go ahead because I'll remember. A splade. What? It's called a splade. A splade. I thought it had a longer name too, though. Okay, splade, and that goes back to the eighteen. And it goes back. No, okay. There's one in the eighteen hundreds. 
We'll get to that later, though. It might be patented. <laughs> it might be patented. Oh, you did. You said the work was patented. Yeah, there's several. So <laughs> now, do you do a patent search? Is it just online, and or do you have to go to? Is it DC? Is that where the patent office is? Yeah. Is? Well, you, in the old days, yeah, you had to be you had to be near the patent office to go through the library of records there. But now, most of the searching is done online. But can anybody do that search, or do you have to have a certain? As a, you have to be a patent attorney to. Be well, able? anyone can use the searching software that the USPTO provides. Um, we do searching a little differently than a regular person would do it. Um, so yes, anyone can search through the records, but the quality of the results are going to vary based on their skill level in searching. Okay, all right. So, um, okay, anyone have any questions? Chris, yes? So there's not like a particular database that you go into and pull records from, or is it just general information yeah. type stuff? So the USPTO has a search tool. Um, so it's uspto.gov, and you would click on um, patents and then searching, and you can search on there through the database of um, patents, published patents, and published patent applications. Um, and then you can also, if you're ever curious and have an idea of your own, um, Google Patents has a really good oh. searching system, and then there's um, free patents online is also pretty good. And so if you ever have an idea, you can search through several of the databases because um, you might get slightly different results and give, give you a better result. Because the cereal milk idea, I mean, is that one of the first things you do is even, even before starting a business, really, you know, we all love this idea that Josiah had, right? Mm -hmm. He wanted to get, now his idea of manufacturing was a little different than I think the way they make cereal milk. Okay. But his idea was just to have giant vats of like Fruit Loops. <laughs> and then have giant pitchers of milk that you pour into Fruit Loops, and then somebody with a giant spoon, I guess, would mix it up. Sounds I'm making awesome. it up a little bit. But, and then I did a Google, and I, we all loved it, and we had names for whatever. And then um, that night, I think, I looked it up just to see if there's anybody. There's a thing. What was the name of the company? Does anyone remember? Anyway, oh, what? Like yeah, there was some other. What? The one from Sharky. Yeah. That there were some others, and so then I crushed this spirit, oh, which is my job, heck. just to crush their spirit <laughs> as best I can. No, I'm just kidding. I have a new idea for him. Oh, you do good, yeah. Cereal milk ice cream. Cereal milk ice cream, there you go. Cow wow. So, cow wow. You looked that up too, didn't you? Google is your friend. It is. So, uh, so uh, but that's probably one of the things you should do. Like, we even talk about that, you know, just in you know boot camps. Like, is you know, is anyone doing it? So don't think that nobody is. But how often can you find a patent that nobody is doing? It's usually, is it, are we at a point now where mostly these things are tweaks to existing products? Or are there things that are truly like, this doesn't exist, you know, television, right? Wasn't television, by the way, a patent like in the 30s? Uh, I think so, yeah. And the fax machine. Yeah. You know, um, but well, are there really just completely brand new? Um, well, when you get a patent, it is a brand, it is considered novel and non-obvious, um, whatever was dis is claimed in it. Innovation usually actually, you know, it happens in small steps for the most part. Once in a while there's a rare, oh my god, this is, the world has never even seen anything close to that. Right. But that is, that's not the norm. Uh, usually technology happens in, in small increments and as we keep stepping forward, your the body of knowledge and um, know-how is, is moving forward with it. So. Um, Anything that we get a patent on, we believe is novel, non-obvious, and, and not been done before. But it may not be like what you're imagining as 
something that's you know world changing. Right. But it might be a significant improvement in whatever technology area it's it is. Okay, so let me. You know, I'm kind of. Kind of I realized I didn't even ask. So tell me, what is the value of patents? So how, what does it protect? What do I get if I'm, um, I'm Nasha, and I have an idea, and when I fork over, how much does it cost to get a patent? Um, between ten and twenty thousand dollars. Ten and twenty thousand dollars. From beginning, That's, from beginning to end. Now the actual application fee is how much? Like a hundred dollars. Um, no, I'm just making. <laughs> it's, like, it's the lawyer fees. That's the real expense in the. Yeah, region. between like six and eight. Yeah, in the Albany market, and then of course in larger markets, it's more. right. So, what do I get with a patent? What actually am I buying with that? What do I get? So, it's it is a form of intellectual property, and it is property. So, it can be bought, sold, licensed, left in a will, just like any other type of property. Um, you get a very cool um, booklet with a nice shiny cover. And twenty thousand dollars, <laughs> but hey, you gotta. You know. no, but kidding. it's what's in those pages yes. that that you know that your invention is stated and claimed. And if someone else were to uh, to use your invention, and the inventor were to find that out, the inventor could sue the um, the, ju the junior adopter, the, the person who's using the technology for infringement, and potentially stop the other party from operating, collect damages. Um, so you're, it's, it is property, it's just not necessarily a property that you can touch and feel like, for, like real property. And for how long is that protection for that? I patented the Coca-Cola uh, formula. <clears throat> so how long is that? Uh, protection t today is 20 years from the date of filing. Oh, why did I think seven? Was there a seven, on the, is that a number at one point? Um, I'm not sure okay. it would be seven. It might have, I mean, it's over the years it's been extended and changed. Okay. So it may be, Maybe back in like 1930 or something. Back in my day. <laughs> um, all right, so um, but th now I've been told that, like for instance, oh I know, like so drug, drug discovery. Yep. It seems like those come off, like um, Albany Molecular, we have a company here called Albany Molecular Research Institute, now it just goes by AMRI, and I think they actually changed their name because they got acquired. But um, they have the main ingredient in something. Allegra. Pexo, Allegra. So that wasn't 20 years when that came off, that protection for that, because so, now there's generics. Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Is that a unique situation that a certain law that allows, because that's not a 20 year um, thing. It might have been 20 years, because if you think of the time it took them to go through the FDA, okay, it's possible, I mean that could have eaten out seven okay. to eight years. Um, I'm not familiar exactly with their scenario, um, their situation, but it's very possible when you with drug companies that it takes so long to get to the FDA, and they have to, many of them file their patent applications first for a lot of good reasons. Okay. So that might be why when it got to the market finally, it wasn't, um, it didn't remain proprietary for as long as you would have expected. Okay, and um, so first you get a patent pending. Well, what's the thing before a patent pending? You have a provisional. You can do a provisional, it's optional. Yeah. Okay. And that, does that still protect do you have your hand up? No. Right. Does that provisional patent um, does that give you some protection? So a provisional patent application is a placeholder. Um, it'll never issue into a patent. It basically you a provisional Oh it'll never it doesn't not just a, not a provisional, no. Oh. You have to file a utility application or quote unquote real application. Um, you have to file a, what's called a utility application um, within one year. 
Okay. So the provisional application gets you a filing date for whatever is disclosed in it. So if you have this idea but you're not ready to file a full utility application or you're still working on developing your idea but you want to protect what you've got so far, you can get a filing date by uh, putting the information in a provisional with a cover sheet and then you, you put it on file at the USPTO and then within one year you have to file a utility application, uh, what we call claiming priority back, so referencing the provisional and then anything that was disclosed in the provisional you're going to get the, fi the benefit of that filing date whereas anything that's new in the utility application you're going to get your new filing date of the utility application and that can become important sometimes you know you may file something on January 1st and then but not be ready for a full application and then somebody files June 1st and then you file your utility application September 1st well, as long as everything was that you need to rely on is in the provisional from January, then the person who filed in June is out of luck. But if you didn't have that provisional, then the guy who filed in January is... He's, is it first to file? It is first inventor to file um, in the United States. First so inventor. Have to, still have to be an inventor, um, but it is, it is... Which is different changed. than somebody who just has an, a crazy idea, but he has no way of actually... He or she has no way of actually making it. Is that what you're saying? You don't have to be able to make it. Um, so an inventor is someone who, um, who, who basically comes up with the idea, who contributes to the concept of the claims. Um, but So there has to be somebody who came up with the idea in order to file a patent application in the U.S. Now, in other countries, it's, sometimes it's different. But it is a few years ago, our system changed. And, to, to not I, get it too complicated, it was like first inventor to file. Because I, <laughs> yeah. I kind of touched on that, and I go, forget it, I'll ask Matt. Because I was going to ask you about it, because it was a law that... Uh, international patents, we kind of lined up more now internationally. Yeah, back in, um, I think it was 2013. Um, so yeah, a few years ago, the law started changing based on a bill that was passed. And now we are more in line with other countries in the world. Uh, it's much more similar. Uh, mo many countries in the world are first to file, but we are first inventor to file. So we're, we're, we're just more in line now than we were previously. What was it before that? Um, it was first to invent. Okay. And so that created issues in determining who was the first to invent. Mm -hmm. So filing date's a filing date, whereas who invented first, be, there, be, there would be hearings, and, and it's a lot more complicated, and that's not how other countries typically work. They typically work on a first-to-file basis. So we were not necessarily in, um, we didn't have necessarily the synergy with okay. the other <laughs> countries. By the way, I showed a commercial with uh, Reese's peanut butter cups yeah. in the '80s. I think you were a child then in the '80s. Born yes, in the '80s. I was. Okay. Remember the? They, well, I didn't show the one I really want to show them when they're roller skating. It's a guy and a girl and they're roller skating in the park and they bump into each other. But you ever see where like the chocolate gets stuck in the peanut butter? She's got the peanut butter and he's got the flour, vice versa. Okay. Is that pat? That's a patented thing. Chocolate and peanut butter together. No one had ever done that before. I don't know. Is there a patent on candy? Does Almond Joy's and with food? It's it's um, it's a gray area. There are patented foods, um, so I don't know that you'd be able to patent like chocolate covered uh, peanut butter. Okay. But in certain instances, uh, you you can patent foods if they're doing something like you found a new way to um, to make uh, an I what do you call it um a hypoallergenic drink like there's oh okay something like that or even sometimes energy drinks. Um, there are ways of patenting food, but it's it's a gray area. Okay, yeah, you made me think of something, and then I'll get to Rachel. Um, so I knew somebody who worked at IBM, 
and they were working, I think, motherboards. And he had this idea of using an existing compound that was used for something else. It mm-hmm. might have been used for caulking your tiles in your bathroom, but he was able to use that. It was the perfect conductor or non-conductor or whatever okay. for a motherboard. So he was able to patent that because it was a unique use or is that a novel use for an existing... He didn't have to create the compound. The compound already existed, but the way that he used it was patented. Was that correct? He would have patented probably... Um, well, he could have patented the process of making it, of making the motherboard with that yeah. substance, and then he could have patented a motherboard having that substance on it. Okay. So, um, you look for every avenue you can, right, that could yeah. possibly be infringed upon. Yes. So what you're thinking is how, I want to get the protection in a moment, like what happens if someone does violate your patent? But, Rachel. Um, I just had a question when you said that patents are a property that can be like bought and sold. Does, does the person who holds the patent determine the value of what they would sell it for, or is like an appraisal process done, like a Good house question. to be, or? Um, both. So the person who owns the patent, so usually it starts as the inventor usually owns the patent, unless there's a, a company that developed it. Um, they can assign whatever value they want, just like if you have a house, if you want to sell it for a million bucks and it's only worth 200000 doesn't mean anyone's going to give it to you, but you can ask that. Um, and then there is, during, during um, business negotiations, if there's going to be a sale that includes intellectual property, um, there are companies that will, va- will do valuations. And they would assign, it's basically an appraisal, they'll assign a value based on um, their research and, and what they come up with. And so it's... Uh, a little bit of both. What's the most unique patents you've worked on? Anything that? <laughs> um, I uh, can't say what's the most unique. Um, some of the ones that I really enjoyed is I my client from uh, that I've had the longest. It has um, we worked on many dental implants for. Oh, really? And so it's cool because dental implant technology has made so much progress in the last twenty years. And this is the actual full replacement. Um, no, it's not full replacement, but it's um, different types of implants and um, and things for the things for the mouth, um, bone building uh, substances. Uh, okay. So if you lose a tooth and you need to put an implant in, you're going to want to build some bone in in between doing that. Um, and so he's been my client for the longest, and he's still he's still my client, and I I really enjoy that. Has that paid off for him? People had to pay him to use his technology that he's developed? Well, he sells products. Okay. So he sells products, and if someone's infringing, then he would deal with it okay. at the time. I want to get to that, too, but I know, Bethany, you had a question? Yeah, I don't remember at this point. Are you, that's something that people like I me do. <laughs> yes, Evan. So is there any sort of like confidentiality where like you can't talk about other people's inventions with another company, so like they wouldn't be able to steal their idea, or like can you just talk whatever you want about any invention that like you talked to previous people about? So that's kind of like the NDA that we talked about a little bit, right? The non-disclosure agreement, a little bit, right? So is that? Yeah. So before you file, so if you have an idea and you want to file a patent on it, you should not talk about it, um, and you shouldn't be disclosing it to people unless they have a confidential relationship. So speaking to a lawyer that you've retained, it's automatically confidentiality is automatically there by attorney-client privilege, but it's not there with your friend. If you go and talk to your friend about it, that could be what's considered a public disclosure. And public disclosures can count against you during the patent process. So what you, what the typical advice is, is when you have an idea, file either a regular patent application, a utility application, or a provisional, and then you can talk to people about it. In the meantime, sometimes you do have to talk about an idea before you file because maybe you don't know how 
to you don't have the full idea yet formulated and you need help. So in those kinds of cases, you're going to want to have a confidentiality or non-disclosure agreement with whomever you're speaking to. And that will help preserve what we call the novelty and it, the disclosure won't necessarily count against you because it was a confidential disclosure and there's paperwork to show that. So those would like uphold in court? Um, they usually do. Um, however, a contract so it'll uphold in court as uh, usually, assuming the terms were written properly, as that it was confidential, assuming that it was kept confidential. Now, it's just a contract. So I always tell my clients, you know, you have to, it's still just a contract and contracts are broken all the time. And so if somebody, if you tell somebody about your invention and you sign a, an NDA with them, but they still go and told the world and put it online, you, you got a problem. And so what, you can sue them for damages and then, in the meantime, in a lot of countries around the world, um, once there's a disclosure, you can't get a patent. In the U.S., it's a little different, but it's um, but the law has changed. It used to be that you had a full year, and it didn't really matter who disclosed what within that year as long as you filed. Now it's different. So a lot of times, because of business, you have to you know business moves fast. You have to use just an NDA and, and move forward. But you have to remember it's just a contract, and it can be broken. And so getting a provisional application on file and then moving forward is usually optimal. I joke with Josiah, the serial mo. Yeah. He's a real person. Um, <laughs> and you shouldn't have said this in class because now you got 20 other people around. But it, that's also been an issue with some, like, like professors or, who are trying to gain some, like, in the industry. You know, they may be talking about things that could be potentially patented. Wasn't that an issue that you shouldn't be talking about this until, but then they, they still want to file, write papers on it, you know, they yes. publish in Paris or Paris? Kind of thing. So, what's the? Is there an answer to that? Like the? This is the it's serial mark. Oh, wow. oh, Talk about and that's you, I, you don't get the green. didn't come in. So this is the serial mark guy. Just <laughs> I, I told you he was real. Um, is there like now? Is there rules about this? Like, is there a pro professor goes and speaks at an industry um, event about something that he's working on? Has he just he or she just shot themselves in the foot? Potentially. So the patent versus publish is has always been a um, a tense point at universities. Um, a lot of uh, professors they don't they may not necessarily be interested in, in patenting. They just want to publish it. They want to get it out to their peers. They want to get in the journals. They want to talk about it. Um, whereas if you're going to file a patent, it can take say, it can take excuse me it can take time to go through the IP office at the university and have all the stuff that you have to disclose in the application and but if you can document like this professor spoke first you can doc you can have a YouTube video that shows oh he talked about this 10 years before and and there was this article that ran in some in journal can any of that be used for him to him or her he or she to bolster their claim that that was my idea or does it not matter you well, didn't follow the rules and it goes towards inventorship um, but the, the rules on publication remain the same so in the United States right now, you have a year from your first disclosure, from, like, from the inventor's first disclosure, there's, it's basic, but it's, it's a little more complicated than that. But if a professor went and d made a publication in the United States, with, if, as long as it's within a year that the uh, patent application gets filed, then they're probably okay. But in most countries around the world, there's no one-year grace period. And so if they want an, a patent in another country, it's highly likely that they won't be entitled to one because it's not considered novel anymore. Okay. So the ideal thing is if, if they want to, if the university wants to patent is 
get the patent application on file, then go and do the presentation. But yeah, that's, there's a lot of tension in that because and this has been that way for a long time. Right. Now, um, we're doing time. One quick question for you also is, um, we're almost done, but um, someone does violate your patent. Um, who's protecting you? Um, do, does that mean you have to have the big law firms now defending you and fighting for you, that's more expense? Or the, the U.S. Uh, patent and trade office also has lawyers, right, that also go on behalf of the inventors as well, correct? So who, because if you, if I have a great idea but I can't spend the money to, to protect it, should I even bother? I think that's one of the questions people have sometimes is, you know, because you gotta be able to defend it. Well, that's the thing, a, a patent is really only as valuable as the amount of money that you can enforce it with. So, um, it's a civil system, so it's not like criminal proceedings where the state prosecutes. So if somebody is infringing on your patent, you need to hire an attorney to, to sue for infringement. And unfortunately, infringement litigation can be incredibly expensive. Now, if you have a really great case, then there might be attorneys that are willing to take it on contingency. Um, but that's, that's not usually the norm. Usually, you wind up having to pay your so attorney. contingency fees. means that you win, they take a cut. Win. Right, so they'll pay, they'll, they'll do it for free and even many times pay expenses. Um, but if they win, they take, you know, like a they take a, or, yeah. usually a third. Um, and some blood, I think. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that would make me younger. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, so, yeah, you have to, when you, when you, look at getting a patent, you have to think about, well, how would I enforce it? And just because you don't know at the moment how you would enforce it, you, that you wouldn't necessarily have more money than the application itself, it doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't pursue it because a company may want to license the patent from you and then they can take on the responsibility of enforcement or they may want to buy it from you. So it's, it's kind of a risk benefit, but there are options once you get the patent that you're not going to realize ahead of time that could pan out and, and then then just because you yourself don't necessarily have the money to enforce it doesn't mean that someone else won't who buys it from you. Awesome. Is it uh, indefinite when you get one of these patents? Like, I remember that one uh, the football team, the Washington Redskins, mm -hmm. like, their name. Like, that's like, a trademark. That's a name. That's yeah. a, a trademark. So that's so, different. Yeah, that's different. That trademarks can, can go, well, trademarks can expire or they can go indefinitely so long as certain paperwork is filed. So someone can't just come in and take the name. Yeah. With trademark, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, Except the Redskins lost their trademark. Oh really? Yeah. I, yeah. The, yeah. They lost their trademark several years ago. Um, although the law has changed since then, but at the time, uh, you were not able to register disparaging marks, and they it went went all the way up through the system, and it was held to be disparaging, and they actually lost protection. They've probably now refiled. The laws have changed. Um, you now can register disparaging marks, and you can register scandalous and immoral trademarks too now, which oh. is a law change. That's nice. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, so here's, we got to run, but uh, first give it up for Maxine Barash. Thank you. For Thank you. Me. And I just want to highlight again the importance. We've talked about this a little bit in the past that businesses need experts. You know, there's a reason why I wanted to have an IP lawyer in the biz lab and why we need certain accountants in HR is that there are people who are specialists. They're specialists. You know, she knows, things that she knows that we just touched on, but 
so much depth of knowledge, and that's what your companies will need. If you want to start something, um, you want to make sure you have those experts in there who can give you, who eat, drink, sleep, and you know, breathe this stuff. This is their life, and so you know, it's just important to have go to the right specialist who really knows their stuff in whatever area we're talking about. But the patent issue has been a, you know, in a tech, because that's what my, my world is technology mostly. And, you know, I know software is one of those ones where can you patent it or not. Mm -hmm. And anyway, so I just want to highlight again the importance of, you know, you can't be an expert in everything. And so go to the people who know. So thanks so much. Again, I appreciate it. Thank and, you. Uh, all right, so I'm going to end this. And then um